Good morning. Great day to be in the house of God. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, it's been such a beautiful morning of worship, uh, and I hope you all have felt God's presence here today. Uh, I'm Chase Thompson, as many of you know. I'm the summer intern here at Woodburn. I'm not uh, Brother Tim. Uh, he's gone on vacation, so if you're visiting with us today, we ask that you would uh, come back and see him. He'll be back this week. Uh, but I am very thankful to have the opportunity to step in and fill in in his place. Um, open your Bibles to John chapter 6, verse 52 this morning. John chapter 6, verse 52. And let me see a show of hands. How many of you here use Facebook? Show of hands. Come on, don't be shy. I know there's more than that. How many of you use Facebook? There's nothing to be embarrassed about, about Facebook. Um, I've actually been on Facebook since my second day at Western Kentucky University in 2006 as a college freshman. So I'm what you call a Facebook veteran, okay? Um, I'd come in from my first day at Master Plan. And some of you that may not know what Master Plan is, it's for incoming freshmen at Western. And it's basically the first week before classes start. And it's a way for you to socialize, meet new people, learn more about the campus's layout, and basically figure out what it means to be a college student. It's very helpful, and if, if any of you are planning on attending Western, uh, I encourage you to take part in Master Plan. Um, so I'd come in from my first day, my first day of Master Plan activities, and my roommate was absolutely hysterical. And he says, Rev, Rev. Now, Rev was my nickname that they gave me freshman year. Um, it was actually kind of a jab, but it was short for Reverend, okay, and I'm not a Reverend. Um, and so that was my nickname. He says, Rev, Rev. He says, there were some girls in here looking for you. Now, my roommate was a ladies' man. I mean, he loved the girls, and, and he was hysterical. And you might be able to imagine, I mean, hearing that there were some girls looking for me uh, as a freshman in college, I mean, I was pretty excited, too. This piqued my interest. Um, and so he, he began to probe my memory and try to help me figure out who this might have been that had come to visit. Um, and so basically, we figured it out. We, thought, we figured out who it must have been, and he said, well... Are you Facebook friends with her? And I looked at him and I said, what's Facebook? At this point, he was even more hysterical. He says, you mean you don't know what Facebook is? You don't have a Facebook? And so at this point, he actually gets on my laptop and he begins to sign me up for a Facebook account. And he signs me up and he gets everything started up and he begins to show me what I can do and answer my questions that I have. Um, and he shows me all the wonders and the magic that Facebook can do. And I remember getting my first few friend requests. It's very exciting, isn't it? Some of you that have Facebook, it's very exciting. Yeah, it can be very addicting. You get those first few friend requests. Uh, and then I began going to classes and meeting more people and getting more friend requests. And I started adding people just left and right. Uh, and after a while, you realize that, you know, you've got 500 friends. You know, I had people from back home that I thought, wow, they've got a Facebook too. You know, this thing isn't just something at Western. I mean, it was a huge deal. You've got 500 friends all of a sudden. And the next thing you know, you've got over a thousand friends. Over a thousand friends. Isn't that cool? But let me ask you this. Have you ever had somebody add you on Facebook and you thought, who in the world is that? <laughs> you all had that? And so you click on their picture and you try to figure out, man, who is this person? I, they kind of look familiar. And then you find out, oh, yeah. You know, that's the guy I met at lunch today. He was standing in line and we struck up a conversation. He must have caught my name. Um, yeah, that's the guy. He was a nice guy. That was, that was fun. And so... And so you add them on Facebook. You accept the friend request. And then you never speak to him again. You all had that happen? You never message him. They never pop up. You never converse. He's just added to the list. I mean, eventually you forget that he's one of your 1,000 plus friends, right? Um, 
you know, he might pop up on your newsfeed and you think, wow, who in the world was that? And at this point, you've forgotten all about the lunch meeting. Um, and if he defriends you, that's a big deal. But if, but if this person defriends you, who cares? You don't even realize it, right? You never knew that you were friends with him. You never really knew anything about him. So my question is then, how many of us in the same way, that same example of that last guy we talked about, how many of us are Facebook friends with God? If God were on our friends list on Facebook, which is a ridiculous thought, but if he were, would he be one of the people that we barely know? If he popped up on our news feed and we thought hard enough, you know, we could, we could begin to remember how we met, but really we don't want to bother talking to him. We don't want to bother messaging back and forth. How many of us think that God is pretty great, but otherwise we don't really have a relationship with him? One of the things about a disciple of Jesus is that a disciple finishes the race. A disciple's journey of following Jesus and walking with Jesus doesn't end, not even in death, and especially not when the walk becomes difficult. And so today we're going to read about some people who followed Jesus And we're going to read about two different reactions that people had when the road got tough. And so look with me now to John 6, beginning in verse 52. And it says this. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven." Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Many of his disciples said, This is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining, so he said to them, Does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, That is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. In verses 53 through 58, Jesus talks a lot about flesh and blood and his flesh and blood. Um, Flesh and blood was actually a Jewish idiom during this time, meaning the whole person. Um, So I think it's pretty obvious, but at the same time, we do want to point out that Jesus is not talking about some kind of crazy cannibalism here. 
He's not saying that his disciples literally needed to eat his body and drink his blood. That's not what he's saying. And even in verse 63, he clarifies, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Um, What Jesus is doing here is not only is he pointing forward to the communion supper uh, in which we partake of him and remember what he did, but he's also saying that one must fully consume him. We must fully grasp who Jesus is. He's saying, digest who I am. Jesus is not to be compartmentalized in our lives. We can't take Jesus like he's some kind of cream and and just wipe him on the parts of our our lives that need healing and expect it to work. Uh, We can't put Jesus in a box and when we need him on Sundays and Wednesdays, we pull him out and we worship him and then we put him away throughout the rest of the week and we hope, you know, I hope my life is okay. Jesus is to be our priority. And Brother Andrew and I actually talked a couple weeks ago about the word priority. And, and in its original meaning, its original context, the word priority only has a singular form. In other words, there are no such things as priorities. There is a priority. And today we often talk about, you know, we want to get our priorities straight. And we have our, our list of priorities. But Christ is to be our priority, our one thing that supersedes everything else in our entire life. At the Baptist Campus Ministry at WKU, um, we have what we call discipleship groups. We call them D groups for short. Uh, And in these groups, we get together once a week, and we have Bible study, prayer time, and share time, or life to lifetime. And and what that share time is, is it's a time where we share with each other what's been going on in the past week uh, that we haven't been meeting, what's been going on in our lives. Uh, I've actually had the pleasure and the honor of leading a group of younger guys uh, in one of these D groups uh, for two years now. And one of the things that we emphasize in our share time is that nothing is irrelevant to discipleship. Now what that means is that when we sit down to talk about what's going on in each other's lives, we don't just talk about how we're ministering to others, or whether or not we're praying every day, how our time with God is going, whether or not we're getting in God's Word each and every day. We don't just talk about that. But we also talk about how our grades are doing. You know, we talk about how our friendships are going. We talk about issues coming up in our lives. We talk about family issues. We talk about something interesting that we're learning in class that we think can really apply to our walk. We talk about, you know, hey, last Tuesday, you know, I got food poisoning after I ate. made me sick all day. We talk about that kind of stuff. We talk about uh, how we're planning to approach the girl that we see each and every day at lunch and we haven't gotten the guts to ask her out yet. We talk about that kind of stuff. And why do we talk about those kind of things? It's because, again, nothing is irrelevant to discipleship. Discipleship is real, and following Christ is real. And therefore, nothing in our lives, no matter how small or silly or trivial it may seem, escapes His Lordship, His authority. Verses 59 through 66, we read on. We find that when things get tough, the admirers turned away. You see, Jesus always had admirers. He was always followed by large crowds. There were always people who were curious about who Jesus was. There were always people who enjoyed being in the presence of Jesus. There were people who sought Jesus' healing for themselves and for their loved ones. But Jesus never called for admirers. He only spoke of followers. He only spoke of disciples. When I was 12 years old in the sixth grade... Uh, my family and I took up buying horses and riding horses. Now, my dad had been around horses all his life. He, he was raised on a farm. He knew all about them. 
Uh, I, on the other hand, didn't really know much. You know, we, we had ridden with horses before. You know, I had somebody kind of lead you around. Have you ever had that? You're ever on the trail and you're just kind of sitting there and the horse is in autopilot mode. I mean, it's not anything too exciting. I mean, I wanted to get out there and ride. And so I was very excited when we began to buy horses. Um, and so one particular time, you know, we're out and we're out in the field next to our house. And my, my poor mother has to sit here and hear the story. Uh, we're out in the field next to our house and we're close to the road. And, and her horse, Jack, uh, begins acting up. And he starts to buck. And he starts to jump a little bit. And next thing you know, my poor mother front flips over his head, lands on the ground. Presumably, for all I could have known, very injured. You know, I didn't know what, what had happened. I just saw her go. And um, so here I was, you know, and, and I was very excited. I was very proud to be a, a part of a, of a cowboy family. You know, I was a cowboy now. And I could tell people, you know, I got cowboy boots. I got the hat. You know, don't mess with me. I might have Smith & Wesson on my side. You never know. I was a bad dude. And so I was very proud to be a part of this. And that horse, after he threw mom, he ran out right into the middle of the road. And he horizontally now, he's across the road. He's crossed right in the middle of the yellow line. And he stands there. And he's proud. And he's beautiful. He looked great out there. Uh, the problem is he was on Highway 231. And this is the main road that goes through Ohio County where I'm from. And so pretty soon we had cars backing up left and right, north and south, sitting there in front of this horse. They couldn't do anything. So again, here's my mother. Who knows what kind of injuries she may have incurred. Uh, she gets up and she picks some grass because horses love grass. And she begins to call to the horse. And she limps her way up to the road to get this horse. And here I am, still okay, horse under control, you know, have a very good opportunity to help. And what do I do? Well, let's keep in mind here in my defense, I'm in sixth grade, okay? Sixth grade, which means... I have a very important social status to uphold. <laughs> very important. I have a reputation on the line here. I mean, I knew this was the main road. There had to be somebody out there that would recognize me. And I didn't want to be any part of this embarrassing fiasco, okay? So what do you think I did? I turned my horse around, rear to the road, and I galloped on out of there. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> So, so I was proud to be a part of this. I was very proud to be a part of, of a cowboy family. But when it got tough, I turned away. I didn't want to be associated with it. I turned away. And in the same way in our passage here today, these people, when it got tough, they turned away from Jesus. They encountered difficulty and they turned away. What is it that might turn us away? For these who admired Jesus, it was a hard teaching. And they said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? What is it that is hard for you to accept? What is it that has held you back from following Christ? Perhaps, there's, there's many different things it could be, but perhaps it's something that he's demanding that you give up in your life. Perhaps Jesus wants your sexual purity he wants you to stop being promiscuous. He wants you to stop looking at pornography. Perhaps he wants you to be faithful to your spouse. Perhaps he wants you to abstain from sex before you're married. Maybe it's that he wants you to stop going out with your friends and getting drunk every weekend. Maybe he wants you to stop using the foul language that you do. Maybe he wants you to stop wasting your Sundays and come to worship. However, perhaps it's something that he's demanding that you do. 
Perhaps he wants you to give to the poor, which is a, a very scary thing to think about in the economic times that we're in today. But perhaps he wants you to give of your hard-earned money to the poor. Maybe he wants you to become a missionary. Did you know there are places in the world today, places like China and India, where you can be killed for sharing the gospel? People are killed every day for spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe he's calling you to go there, and that's what's keeping you from going, from following him. Maybe he wants you, like he did Abraham, to pack up all of your things, and you have a vague idea where, but you don't really know the rhyme or reason, but he wants you to move. And you're having a hard time coming to terms with that. Again, for these admirers, it was a hard teaching. Maybe it's something you can't grasp. Maybe you wonder, why would God allow this tragedy to happen in my family? Why is there suffering in the world? What is it that keeps you from following Christ? Now, this is a question both for Christians and non-Christians, because while non-Christians aren't following Christ, many Christians have either stopped or they failed to realize what it truly means. Many Christians today are content to just come to church each time the church doors are open, and some of them might even read their Bible in their free time. And with that, they might pray. Now, they'll certainly pray before dinner, perhaps, or before they go to sleep. But besides that, what else is there? How real do you think your faith is? I asked the Christian, have you ever wanted something more? I asked the non-Christian, haven't you ever felt like there had to be more to life than this? I met a sister in Christ my freshman year of college who greatly impacted my life. Uh, the first time we ever sat down to a meal together, we shared with one another our testimonies of how we'd come to know Christ. And I remember how she recalled her coming to faith in Christ and how she was at a church with her grandmother. And as she recounted the story, she came to the point of the story where she had to make a choice. She came to the point of the story where God was convicting her and calling her to give her heart to Him calling her either to follow him or to continue to meander aimlessly in her life. When she came to that part of the story, she looked me in the eyes and with a broken voice, she said, I, I just wanted to be real, you know? I just wanted to be real, more real than I was. I wanted something that was real. And she found it. She found life in Jesus Christ. That had been when she was 14 years old, and this was now 12 years later. And of all places, we're sitting in a waffle house, and I can look at her, and I can see in her a life that was fervently engrossed in Christ her Lord. The Lord was her shepherd. Dallas Willard said that the Lord is my shepherd is written on many more tombstones than it is lives. What he means by that is that we trust Christ will carry us uh, through death. But when it comes to living our own lives daily, we take control. We shepherd our lives. So then we have to ask, is it true that Christ wants us to give up a good life and follow him? I mean, is misery the prerequisite of following Christ? And the answer is absolutely not. And we have a beautiful piece of insight here in this passage. Again, at this point in the story, those that were going along with Jesus couldn't accept his teaching, and they have left. 
And Jesus looks at the twelve and he asks, Are you also going to leave? And Simon Peter replies, and I think personally it's one of the most beautiful responses in all of Scripture. Peter replies, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Peter, answering for the group, knew that Jesus was all that mattered. In Jesus, they had found what it was that they had been searching for. And nothing or no one else was going to be able to fulfill them the way that Jesus had fulfilled them. Lord, he says, to whom would we go? Fulfillment is what they had found in Jesus. Because fulfillment is what is found in Jesus even today. Peter would later write in his, in his letter to the church, in 1 Peter 1.8, Peter wrote this. He says, And though you have not seen him, and though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Such a joy that it cannot be expressed. Paul writes in Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And later in 3.8 and 9, Paul says, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with Him. Paul says to live is Christ. I mean, what a powerful statement. Christ is life. He's what gives life. He is, after all, God. I mean, why wouldn't He be the fulfillment of life? Who better to know what His creation needs than the Creator? Jesus said in John 10.10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, this verse is not referring to prosperity or riches or health. When it talks about abundant life, it talks about having joy inexpressible. To live is Christ. Christ suffered and died and was separated from God on the cross for our sins. But He rose again in power and authority on the third day that we might have eternal life and that we might abide with Him now. If we allow Him to save us from our sins and we proclaim Him as our Lord and Master, He will make us a new creation in Him. And we too may share in the abundant life that He freely gives. But there is a catch. The catch is that this involves turning from our sin, turning from our old ways. And the reason for this is because to make Him Lord and Master is to give Him authority. His will is to have preeminence in our lives. He is to be our priority. He comes above everything else. What He demands of us, we must give to Him. And this is the essence of repentance, of turning from our sin. Now some of the things He asks for will indeed be tough. Whether He's demanding that you turn away from, from, from some sin in your life, or He's calling you into some form of ministry or service. But the things that Christ uses to replace what He takes away are far more rewarding. And I can't remember the words, but I saw that in the songs that we were singing, out of ashes, out of death and into life. Happiness is circumstantial. 
It depends on who we're with, where we're at, what we're doing. But joy in Christ is eternal. So I have to ask you, what is it that holds you back from following Him today? What about the road is too tough? Because I assure you that if you choose to follow Christ, nothing will compare to the life that He gives you. Nothing. Nothing else is worth Christ. Now here in just a moment, I'm going to pray for us and and Brother Andrew is going to come up and he's going to lead us in a song of invitation. This is your time to respond. If you have a physical need and you'd like for us to pray for your physical healing, uh, you can come down here to the organ side and our deacons will meet you and they will anoint you with oil, as the scriptures say, and they will pray for you. If you have a decision that you'd like to make public, if you'd like to join Woodburn Baptist Church, come down to the front and Brother Frank will meet you and you can talk with him. And if you'd like to choose to follow Christ today, if you want to begin that journey of discipleship, I implore you to come. You may have everything that you could have ever dreamed, everything that you'd worked for. You may have the house you want, the car you want, the spouse you want. You may have all these things, but somehow you know deep inside that there's nothing but despair. You live each moment for those happy times in your life and the rest of that is darkness and gloom and you have nothing. You think to yourself, I thought I had it all. I thought once I got this, I would be happy. But now you wonder, is this all there is? Is this it with life? If that's the case for you today, I challenge you to follow Christ because Christ is what it is that you're looking for. Christ is what is missing in your life. And Christ is all that can give you fulfillment. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we just thank you for this day that you've given us, Lord. God, we thank you for this time where we can come together and worship you. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you that you died on the cross for our sins and that you rose again on the third day. God, we thank you for the hope that you've given us. Lord, we ask now that you would convict our hearts, Lord. Reveal to us the sin that might be in our lives, God. And God, call us to follow you. God, I ask for those who may be here who do not know you, Lord, that you would convict their hearts and bring them to know you. God, we thank you again for all that you do, for the very breath that you provide us with. We thank you for those who have fought for our country. We thank you for those who have loved us and shared with us in our lives, God. But we need you, Lord. We thank you for all that you do, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.